I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Sky U Podcast by the Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, Go AU Fur. With me this week is Andy, Gopher Guy 05. Hello. Blake, Iowa Gopher. It's good to be back. Steve, Zips of Akron. We're here, but not for much longer. And uh, rounding out this illustrious full starting five, U Street. Hey, y'all. Also, Steve, really, really keeping it, keeping it light. To begin the podcast here. I just meant for basketball. Life is in great shape. Death <laughs> death will come for all of you at some point. Don't 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 overreact to it, Street. Now now it's dark. It follows us. <laughs> Shall it's we dark. talk about a transfer? <laughs> what a, what a... <laughs> yeah, as long as we're talking about sad things and death. Uh, so Isaiah Washington, uh, we're gonna lead off with the jelly transfer. Isaiah Washington has officially put himself into the transfer portal. That uh, magically named new thing that just, I don't know why that was never a thing before, but suddenly there's a transfer portal and we're all the beneficiaries of it. Um, I'm just going to turn it right over to Steve. What do you think ultimately was what held up uh, Isaiah Washington from being a performer here at Minnesota? Well, I think, um, I, and anyone who watched the, the the season this year, by the end of the season, probably isn't surprised that he's transferring anyway. He barely played at the end of the year. I think he sat for five games straight and um, didn't even even get any run until the last game of the year against Michigan State, where he almost had to play because because no, nobody was left. Um, and you know, it, it it just looked like he had a different game for a different program. Um, Clearly a skilled player, um, clearly good at um, hand, handling the ball. He has good vision, um, but he has to be a scorer, and I don't think we ever got over that with him where he was not okay being the third option on the court. Um, we needed a point guard who was going to deliver to Jordan Murphy and Amir Coffey and set Gabe Kalisherp up uh, for open threes, and that just didn't seem to be, um, to be Jelly's game. And it took us a season and a half to, to figure that out. Um, he, great guy, um, but it was always kind of suspicious too that, um, you know, he he never got called out in, you know, Patino's blog posts and it seemed like there might have been something going on um, behind the scenes and who knows what that is, but just the fact that he all of a sudden just did not play ever um, should, should speak more um, about what was going on than, um, than you might have might have been wondering i don't know street what do you think yeah the other thing for jelly at least on on court performance is it seems that patino places a relatively high premium on the ability to know your assignments on defense now 
whether that's true all the way down the roster. So for example, Michael Hurt tends to always be in the right position on defense. He's just a little bit slow for the game, but he doesn't see run either. But with Isaiah Washington, a lot of times what you would see, you'd see on defense him just sagging really deep either into the lane or off his man for a potential help steal situation and then leave open a wide open three. And almost invariably, Patino would immediately yank him as a result. So they weren't on the same page on defense, and I fully agree with Steve. Isaiah Washington will thrive in a program for which every bit of the offense bends around him. I don't mean that negatively. I mean that every aspect of his game that is fantastic relies on him not only having the ball, but him basically doing everything and people setting people up for him, i.e. like Russell Westbrook, though not anywhere near as good. In terms of where he's going to transfer, hopefully he finds a program for which he's going to have success. I thought that he's doing all the right things in public in terms of his announcements. He's never seemed to have any problems whatsoever, appears to be a very good kid, a very smart kid, all of which is great. He also made a note in his post that he had sort of lost the love of basketball and had been seeing a therapist for a bit. And I just want to commend, even if there may be some potential motivation a little bit there in terms of waiver eligibility that especially in this day and age with the reach that Isaiah Washington has being willing to be open about saying that it was important that he went and talked to some other people and got help uh, for what he was dealing with at the time and the different challenges that he was facing was pretty fantastic I also thought it was interesting too um, just at, at the end of last season when the when that god awful season was coming to an end, but we, you know, the team had basically given up. There was no, everyone was gone. There was no one left in the team, and um, you know, Jelly was out there getting 25, 30, 35 minutes a game, and he was scoring a ton. But that, you know, no one was out there to to help him out. Coffee wasn't there. Kalisher wasn't here yet. Reggie Lynch was gone, um, and now he all, all of a sudden he's scoring, you know, 10, 15, sometimes even 20, 25 points a game. You could see what he was capable of even at a big 10 level when he was the guy who um you know had the ball it was the guy who had to be scoring um he's putting up some of these some of these performances against the you know michigan and michigan states indiana's and wisconsin's of the league so um to echo your point street if he goes to a place where he's going to be the man even at a mid major level he should be um well equipped to to actually make make some noise well hopefully um you know, we can look and see the Gophers make some noise next year before we get to kind of our expectations for, for the upcoming season. Maybe let's uh, talk a little bit about kind of final thoughts about what we just saw and what was kind of, honestly for me was a really kind of exciting end end to the year. The team kind of went on a tear. I honestly felt we were done after Rutgers and Patino was getting fired and then that's not at all what happened. So Street, kind of what is what are your season recap thoughts? Yeah, as I wrote, and not just because I'm hip and with the youth and go to concerts and whatnot, that a lot of what we've seen over Patino's tenure so far, he should get extended, to be very clear. You've got two NCAA tournaments in the last three years, barring an absolute epic injury collapse, plus Reggie Lynch being Reggie Lynch. The team would have been in the NCAA tournament three years in a row. There is absolutely no reason whatsoever that a coach who has made the NCAAs three years in a row uh, would be in the same position that Patino was in this year. So that counterfactual goes away and probably would have been competing for a much higher seed in the Big Ten. They are 
35 seconds, give or take, from having another winning record in the Big Ten. But the challenge that all of Patino's teams have had, and this has been true even on the teams that were great, so the the five seed a couple years ago, is they are a ridiculously high-variance team. It's a team, and we talked about it on on podcasts throughout this year as well as on the blog, that the Gophers this season never really put together, with the exception of the Purdue game, which I think was their most complete game of the season, offense and defense, never put together a full game. What you saw against Purdue, partially a matchup thing, Minnesota always kind of played well against Purdue, but was, oh, this team, when everyone is on and everyone is playing well, can beat every team in the conference that is not named Michigan State. That was a Sweet 16, maybe Elite 8 level basketball team. And that is the same team that got blown out by double digits to Illinois, Ohio State, and Boston College. So it's difficult to sort of think about the season if you're optimistic about Patino's tenure as like this went absolutely amazingly but i think equally if you are very negative towards patino you have to ignore a lot of really positive things that were happening from a development standpoint lastly patino's teams over the last few years in terms of the teams that were not crippled by injuries tend to start playing very well in mid to late february and early march Now, it would be nice if they were playing well before that as well. That would be cool. But if you have to try and find a place in your schedule where you want to play really well, that would be the time period to do it. So I think that there is a lot of room for growth for Patino. I think that looking forward to next season, not only from an on-court standpoint, but also recruiting, it's going to be another very critical year for him in some sense. I think you almost run into the same question that you ran into this year if they don't make the NCAA tournament next year. So that'll be interesting for people who get paid a large amount of money to make those decisions. But ultimately, what I would view this season is, in as I said at the beginning of the year, in order for Patino to keep his job, he has to make the NCAA tournament, and he maybe even has to win a game in the NCAA tournament. He made the NCAA tournament, he won a game in the NCAA tournament. Consequently, I would say that this season, at least in that sense, is a success. Steve, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think uh, before the season started, you know, Patino getting to the tournament and winning a game in the tournament was basically the baseline for him to um, be considered for, you know, extending his tenure here. And I think he he did that. Uh, there were some pitfalls along the way, but that's why we also need to look at the season in totality, not just taking a step back after like the Rutgers game, for instance, and being like, "All right, we're done." I mean, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone of busting out the pitchfork and. Um, ready to go to town, but you gotta, you know, he finished strong, and that's what we needed him to do. Um, looking at the season as a whole, um, obviously Jordan Murphy was fantastic. We are, it's gonna be a long time before we see someone who's gonna contribute that much. Um, it's really a shame that we, you know, won't get to see him play anymore. Um, really, really exciting. But the what stuck out to me, I think, was just this freshman class, and we don't talk enough about how how big of a core that's going to be for the next three years, unless Daniel Oturu has a um, crazy jump where he starts to get NBA looks. But um, we should be safe saying that Gabe Kalisher, Jarvis Omersa, Oturu hopefully will be here for, for the long haul. That's a really, really solid core to build around. And who would have thought before the season started that Gabe Kalisher was going to be one of our leading scorers? Um, he's, he was really changed the look of the offense. Haven't, we haven't had a, a knockdown three-point shooter in, in, in such a long time, and it really changed – um, how the team attacked. Um, Eric Curry 
Uh, I don't know what's going to be going on with him. He's it's too bad because he when he's on the court he looks he looks good. He seems like like kind of a glue guy, but he also hasn't been healthy for two years now, and he's going under the knife one more time. Um, we're going to need him for um, for front court depth for sure. He's going to need to be Orturu's wingman, and he needs to be healthy to do that. Um, and we also haven't seen a full season out of him before either. And I think my other closing thought for this season is what is the Amir coffee we're going to get next year if, and I'm knocking on wood, he comes back um, after exploring the NBA draft, but who are we going to get? We had um, some crazy highs from him where he looked like one of the best scorers in the entire league, um, and we had some you know, really painfully disappearing moments where he was just forcing it and scoring in single digits, and he ended up, at the end of the season, the sixth leading scorer in the Big Ten but um, among his counterparts up there, he also had you know more than 10 games of scoring 11 points or less, which um, you know guys like Carson Edwards, Cassius Winston, you know Lamar Stevens, those guys do not disappear like that. But we also saw Coffee end the season on a very, very strong note where he had, um, I think he averaged 23, 24 points per game in his final eight games. That's a long, that's a significant chunk of the season where he was scoring at a very, very high level. And I really, really hope that um, that's what the, the type of coffee we'll see next year now that he's realized that he can do that and do it consistently. It'll also help him to play off the ball next year as well. The sort of two money plays that Minnesota had this year, one was everyone clear out and let Jordan go to work in a one-on-one ISO situation, which not the most efficient repeatable thing but jordan murphy was so good and so dominant against so many different power forwards this year that that was fine there were at least three games this year where that functionally was their offense in the second half the other play is a curl to coffee so coffee coming off a high ball screen curling to the middle of the floor and slashing from his left hand And if he gets ahead of steam downhill with his left hand, he's nearly unstoppable. Plus, with his height and his vision, anyone who was going to come over had to be coming over from either Orturo or Murphy. And Coffey would frequently just flick the ball over to either one of them and we'd get an easy two points. That's a play that they can basically run next year all the time because Coffee isn't going to have to initiate the offense in the same way while still being able to put in, oh, this is of course assuming he's coming back, but while still being able to keep the plays that worked in for him as kind of a point forward. And that'll be an interesting storyline, I think, in some level for how Patino wants to integrate what he learned this season from Coffee as a point guard which is not ultimately a successful experiment, I don't think, but there are aspects of it that you could very easily translate next year to put him in a position to be regularly putting up uh, stupid numbers. So looking ahead to next year, uh, I'm going to bring it over to Andy for a minute. Andy, what would you say your expectations are for next year's team, assuming Amir Coffey comes back? I mean, with Coffey and with Marcus Carr coming uh, finally to be eligible... Um, you know, I, I honestly think that, uh, there's no reason to think that this team shouldn't be able to, uh, do just as well as they did this year. I think, uh, you know, I think NCAA tournament is a, is a very easy goal. Um, 
competing for the top half of the Big Ten regular season would be a fairly easy goal. Um, you know, it, it, it all depends if they, they uh, can get people back from injuries. Uh, you know, with Murphy gone, they'll be missing a lot, but if you can get Eric Curry healthy to play a full season 100%, um, and you can get Orturu healthy and stay healthy the entire season instead of, you know, coming off his shoulder surgery, he was, you know, a little raw to start the season. Um you know, I, I, I think I think the full expectation should be a return to the NCAA tournament. And then, as we've seen, you know, it would be nice to win a game or two, but uh, as long as you get back to the tournament, I don't think you can really argue too much. Steve, would you agree with that, that a baseline would be at least as successful as this, as this past season? Yeah, I think, um, it, I, obviously, losing Murphy is a, is a huge blow, but that's not to say you aren't going to have guys who are going to be able to, um, you know, fill that gap um you'll have another grow another, another year of growth from um your true freshman you get hopefully a conference first teamer back in coffee um that is a lot to build around already um and i i would hope that that type of core would be enough to get to the ncaa tournament um, i don't think losing murphy and you know ha- having backups behind him enough to fill those gaps should be enough talent to to get you back i think it's college basketball. The more guys you can have returning to the next year, um, the better. And the Gophers have plenty of guys returning next year. Street, if you had to take a realistically optimistic view of the season, what do you think a, a fairly reasonable high bar is for the Gophers next year, assuming everybody's healthy and performs at you know a, a relatively uh, reasonable level of to, to, to expect? Sweet 16. That depends a little bit on the spring recruiting period and who they end up pulling in. Will they get a grad transfer? Will they find someone to, at minimum, provide depth at the four if they have a lot of targets? Can they get another point guard to back up Marcus Carr? So that's the first kind of question to run out for the rest of, uh, for the rest of this spring period. And then next season, will Marcus Carr actually be a successful point guard? One of the unfortunate lessons of the Isaiah Washington experience is just because someone comes in with hype doesn't actually mean that they will be successful at this level. What Marcus Carr did seem to bring was when he was at Pittsburgh is that he could shoot the ball, not tremendously well, but one would expect that that would get a little bit better. And if that's true, you have a true point guard who can shoot threes, which is something that Patino's offense is quite like. You assume reasonable progression and no injuries from everyone, which means that Coffey, assuming he returns, Oturu, Kalsher, and Curry all get a full offseason not to rehab but actually to practice and improve their games which is something you didn't have before and that means that your starting five you have potentially two all Big Ten first team players although I don't think Oturu will get there Coffee certainly should Gabe Kalsher should be in line for a defensive player of the year if he makes a jump. That's a phenomenal core to work around. And you might actually have some bench players who can give you some scoring. If I look at that team and I say sort of what is the reasonable ceiling if one is being optimistic in a homer, that's a Sweet 16 team. Do you think that that's an ex- uh, a very likely outcome, or do you think it's much more likely that we're talking about middle of the road in the Big Ten, decent but not great seed to the NCAA tournament and hoping to scratch out a second win if we can, um, if we're lucky. 
I th- in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think an expectation for next season should be the tournament again. There's enough talent on that team, especially if Coffee comes back, that there's no reason they shouldn't make the NCAA tournament. I think the seed that you're looking for is once again probably a 7 or a 10. I think anything above a 7 is probably a bit of an overachievement. If they could get 5 or higher, then I would be quite thrilled about the season. On the low end, you know, scraping by another kind of 10 or maybe even an 11 seed i think winning one game in the ncaa tournament especially if you're that low as a seed would be a nice bonus but that that strikes me as a more reasonable and then from a floor perspective i think it's entirely plausible once again depending on the big 10 schedule because there's the other dynamic that comes in that we don't quite know yet you might see another 9 and 11 sort of season that wouldn't shock me. The Gophers might be done on the court uh, as a team, but uh, Jordan Murphy has a little bit more to play. Unfortunately, it's not uh, exactly where Andy wants it to be. But Andy, can you break down what uh, what Jordan Murphy is going to be doing for kind of his All Star thing here? Yeah, it uh, looked like it was announced today. Jordan Murphy will be playing in the uh, Reese's College All Star Game, which. Uh, if you want to go down to U.S. Bank Stadium, that game will take place at 3.30 on Friday afternoon after all of the uh, open team practices uh, of all the four Final Four teams. Uh, 20 of the uh, best seniors in the country are split into two teams, East versus West, and will play against each other. Um, you know Some other names you might recognize, James Palmer Jr. from Nebraska is on the East team. Um, joining Murphy on the West team, uh, Galen Robinson Jr. from Houston, um, Barry Brown from Kansas State. Uh, so some of the some of the best players in the country will be playing against each other Friday. Um, you know, it's a, it's a big, nice uh, recognition and a big uh, event for that. Uh, I was hoping Murphy might uh, be either selected, or I'm not sure if he rejected, to play on the uh, Dos Equis three-on-three national championships Big Ten squad. Uh, That event's also taking place this weekend at the Mall of America. They're actually playing it right in the rotunda, which will be kind of a cool experience. Um, But it's basically every single conference gets uh, a team of four seniors together, and they play for money. Uh, You win win each game at pool play is worth $1,000, and then the grand champion winners will get $100,000. Last year, the Big Ten team, including Nate Mason, won it all in the inaugural tournament. So it uh, doesn't look like Murphy will be playing in that since he's playing in the in the Reese's game. So it'll be interesting to see. They haven't announced the Big Ten squad yet, just who will be on that team. But uh, but they'll be at the Mall of America this weekend uh, trying to win themselves some cold hard cash and some more uh, bragging rights for the Big Ten. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, that seems like a, a pretty good full play to basketball. Uh, it is still football spring practice, and somehow that's like slid on. I don't think it's slid under the radar for most people, but for me, somehow I just feel a little disconnected from it uh, this year. And so 
I am excited for us to talk about that. Um, Blake, kind of bringing you in, who do you think, I guess first question for you would be, who do you think is going to be the starting quarterback come the fall? You know, I think it's going to come down to Zach Anxad and Tanner Morgan. I know that a lot of people are excited about um, Jacob Clark. He's the true freshman early and really out of Texas. Um, he's obviously got a lot of raw talent, but I think he's still – a year or two away from being ready for the college level. But um, I really think it's going to be between Anikstad and Morgan. I think a lot of people are probably going to discount Anikstad, um, mostly to, due to recency bias. I mean, Morgan had some big games towards the end of the season, and he was solid. Uh, they didn't ask a ton of him. Mohamed um, Ibrahim had to carry a lot of the load, and that certainly helped. And Morgan was operating behind an offensive line that had Daniel Flayla instead of Sam Schluter. Um, at tackle, which certainly benefited the entire offensive line. And also, those last three, four games, they actually had a legitimate defense um, after the firing of uh, the def- the Gophers' defensive coordinator. So, um, circumstances definitely favored Morgan towards the end of the season. But I really think that um, Anikstad, last fall camp, he beat out um, uh, Tanner Morgan. And I think people just forget about that. I think he's got a higher ceiling than Morgan does. Morgan's maybe a little bit more conser- conservative, more of a game manager. I just think the offense has better potential with Anikstad under center, and I think you'll see him back in a starting position again this fall. I, I noticed you didn't say Rob Smith's name. Was that because you worried about conjuring him into real life, or did you just forget? Honestly, I was blanking on it, It's which is good. I've, I've tried to forget the horrors that he brought um, into our lives the past two seasons. So it's uh, I, I heard you mention uh, Sam Schluter, obviously, as part of the, the quarterback discussion. Uh, the Gophers are going to be without uh, Donnell Green as a tackle. He's moved on and is pursuing his NFL dreams. Uh, that leaves Sam Schluter in line to be a tackle once again. Uh, what do you think kind of happens happens there, Blake? Do we have to... Should we look to Sam Schluter to improve and take a tackle spot, or are we hoping beyond hope that somebody else, you know, lets him serve as a backup? Yeah, I think he'll get. I think he'll get a shot. Uh, Sam Schluter will. Um, the way the offensive line is shaking out right now um, is at center with Connor Olson. He played left guard all last season, but he'll shift over to replace Jared Weiler. Um, at left guard uh, is Curtis Dunlap. He's, he'll be a redshirt freshman. We get a glimpse of him. Um, in a starting role in the quick lane bowl. Um, at the other guard position, it will be redshirt sophomore um, Blaze Andres, who had a really good fresh, redshirt freshman season. Um, and then at right tackle, everyone's favorite 6'10", uh, 400-pound offensive lineman Daniel Flele. Um, and yeah, that, as you mentioned, the big the big gap or the big hole will be at left tackle, um, where we had Danelle Green. He was a three-year starter, so um, he leaves some big shoes to fill figuratively, figuratively and literally. Um, and so far, so far this spring, I know Schluter's kind of has slotted in it um, at first string. His biggest competition will be um, Jason Dixon. He was a uh, junior college offensive tackle. Um, didn't play at all last season. He redshirted and didn't even play in the four games that you're allotted for a redshirt. Um, I know that there are rumors that he took what's referred to as an academic redshirt, just didn't play um, in any games so he could focus on his academics. But um, sounds like he's good to go. Um, I think his biggest thing will probably be um, having to shake off a year of no game action. You know, junior college guys, when they come in, you expect them to have an immediate impact. Um, and he basically effectively sat out an entire season. Um, 
So I'm kind of interested, especially in the spring game, to see how he does. And Schluter, as we all know, um, his big problem is pass protection. Um, he kind of thrived towards the end of last season, even after losing his starting spot um, as sort of a, a blocking tight end. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that Schluter's like done, because I think players can improve. Um, but it, to me, it'll be interesting to watch that battle unfold. Um, and there's also a possibility too that you know, you know, Brian Callahan and PJ Fleck may shift things around a little bit. I know Curtis Dunlap and um, Blaze Andres have also played a little tackle this spring. So um, I really think it'll come. It'll be that that starting five that we're all expecting. But um, I do think a left tackle is gonna really gonna come down to um, Schluter versus Dixon, and I don't think it'll be decided in spring by any means. And that'll be a battle that continues into the fall. Andy, this is kind of more of a, I guess look ahead question than necessarily a spring question but do you think uh the gophers offense will get more impact out of the running back position or the wide receiver position as the season progresses oh that's a tough one um you know i'm gonna that is a really tough call i'll i I threw a stumper I, i will go with the running back position for the lone argument that the wide receivers are still mostly reliant on the quarterback and while um, you know Tanner Morgan and Zach Anikstad have shown flashes of, of some pretty good play um, you know they, they still have a ways to go before you can really be a consistent downfield passing threat and really take advantage of uh, all the gifts um, meanwhile I mean we know what Rodney Smith, Shannon Brooks and Muhammad Ibrahim can do so at that point, it's hand them the ball and watch them work their magic. So, um, you know, the, I don't think there'll be any team in the country that's going to return the type of running back depth that Minnesota will have this fall, assuming everybody, knock on wood, stays healthy from now until, you know, the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll go running backs, but it's, it's you know, this is the closest it's been in a very, very long time, and it's not the wide receiver's fault this time. It's definitely still a requirement that the quarterbacks need to get a little bit better. Street, flipping over to defense, who are you looking to, to see? Uh, like, I don't know, who, do you look, who are you excited to see on the defensive side of the ball, either here in the remaining part of spring practice or moving into the fall? It's obviously very important to win spring practice, as we know. Uh, the best performers in spring practice will always carry over into the actual season. With that said, I think obviously Carter Coughlin moving back far more to a linebacker, Boy Mafe taking potentially over that other sort of rush defensive end, defensive end slot. He played quite well in the bowl game that seems to be moving towards spring practice and he's got uh, a very athletic skill set especially for being as big as he is so those would be the the two kind of major ones as a minor side whoever is going to start at defensive tackle is to me the the big interesting question for the defense because uh, especially the way uh, that joe rossi seems to want to run an offense or run a defense sorry the defensive tackle has to take up a lot of space they brought in a lot of juco's and obviously the grad transfer from notre dame whoever wins out that spot is going to be a hugely important for the rest of the gophers chances next season on defense blake what do you think the strongest unit will be on the on the defense defensive side of the ball based on what we've you know heard and seen in the spring and just what we know about the the roster so far 
that's to me that's kind of a tough question i mean at linebacker you're kind of set with thomas barber and kamal martin they're going to be your two guys um and i mean they're rossi has shown he's going to run a, a lot of different type of defenses like four two five three three five um so the linebacker is pretty strong um, defensive line, as uh, Street mentioned, there's a lot of new faces on there. It's gonna, gonna, they've certainly got the potential, um, but again, a lot of that's gonna depend on just how that that group develops and who emerges. But um, I honestly really like where the secondary is at right now. Um, so you've got four pretty good corners: you know, Coney Durr, Keandre Thomas, um, Terrell Smith, and the, the junior college cornerback uh, Calvin Clements, who's on campus now. Um, those guys are all going to figure out the rotation. Chris Williamson, the transfer from Florida, um, really found his role last season as a slot corner. Um, I think he really thrived towards the end of the season after um, I think he was banged up a little bit early on and didn't see the field much. Um, at safety, obviously we've talked about the lack of depth there. They've got a um, junior college safety coming in the summer. Um, Antoine Winfield, is, if he can get past the Maryland game, um, he'll be good. Uh the guy I'm most probably excited to watch is Benny Sapp. Um, from everything I've heard, he's 100%. Um, he played a lot of, on special teams last year. Um, sounds like it's between him and Jordan Howden for that other safety spot um, that was vacated by uh, Jacob Huff, who graduated this offseason. So um, I really am looking forward to seeing how the secondary come together. I think there's just a lot of good pieces there, um, and I'm interested to see um, how they get used and what kind of rotation we see in the fall because I, I think it has – has the potential to be a really strong unit. What uh, I'm going to go around the table here um, and have each of you answer these next two. Uh, what? Who is the spring enrollee that you're most interested to see uh, in action during the rest of the spring? Either you know on some some film coming out of open practice and open practice you get to attend, or the spring game. And we'll go starting with Andy. You know. Um... I'm going to have to probably go, uh, you know, I, I'd like to see, uh, hopefully, Keontae Shad show off. Um, you know, he's going to be playing D-tackle, so it's not as flashy, but if he and uh, he and Rashad Chaney can really uh, give some more intense depth that uh, center of that defensive line, uh, I really think that will help the Gophers a lot coming up here in the fall. So I'm going to be looking forward to, uh, when I go to the spring game, seeing if they can definitely work and get some of that inside pressure going on and uh, see if uh, they can give a lot of trouble to this first-team offensive line. Street, how about you? I honestly have no idea who all the early spring enrollees are, so I'm going to say Brock Walker, a walk-on from Sioux Falls, who apparently today got the kicking reps. <laughs> walk-on kicker, that's a strong That's a strong choice. Hashtag like Big Ten. Blake? <laughs> Blake, how about you? Uh, I'll probably go with um, Kelvin Clements. He's the junior college cornerback that's um, on campus this spring. Uh, I just I long for the days when we had physical corners like Eric Murray and um, Brian Body Calhoun. And from what I've heard, that's he's exactly cut from that mold. So I'm really curious to see if he could break into the rotation, maybe even get a starting spot. But uh, yeah, let's bring back those Eric Murray days. Andy, this is kind of a philosophical question. How does one win a spring game? Uh, you don't get anybody hurt. That's how you win the spring game. Um, you know, I, I think uh, as we've seen, uh, spring games are always sort of uh, a show-off for the less heralded players, as we've seen such vaunted spring game MVPs like uh, James Johansson. 
and uh, Femi yeah, Cole, Jonathan Femi Cole, uh, players like that who uh, you know have had uh, have had you know major spring games, but then you'd see very little of them in the regular season. So um, you know it, it's fun for fans. It's fun to watch. Um, but I can guarantee you PJ Flex is going to hold out a vast majority of the players that you're going to be watching for the majority of the season in the fall. Uh, so the key is those of who, those of who players will be playing in the fall play do not get hurt. Andy, am I correct <laughs> that last season you went to the spring game and saw Namdi Abu Muhammad? I did. It was a very cold Thursday evening, and he sat about four seats down from me in the uh, center of the field and, and then committed, which is – well, go ahead. I'm going to say then that – I'm going to cut the line and say that the way you win the spring game is have Andy sit next to whatever recruit we really want. I like it. I like it. There's just, there's just something about Andy's aura. Just being in close proximity to him, I think I think that they these recruits really get a good sense of uh, what Minnesota is well, all about. And, and, yeah, and and, I, and I'm pretty sure I've told this story on here before, but it just goes along with it is that you know not to pull the the kids these days, but I mean he was watching the spring game and he could not have looked more disinterested. He was flipping through his phone the entire time. He didn't watch any of the game at all, so. You know, I, I didn't think there was any chance in hell that he was going to come to Minnesota, and lo and behold, he'll be here in June. So it just goes to show you that uh, spring games really don't mean a damn thing. Blake, uh, we've gotten the whimsical answer. We've gotten the practical answer. Where do you come down on how do you win a spring game? You know, score more points. Someone's got to win. They, I think Flex got ahead of system of scoring um, every year. <laughs> It's a very intricate, intricate, very thought out system. Um, you know, I haven't gone back and tracked, you know, which team, if players on certain teams fare better, it's something I really need to look into. I'll probably spend a couple hours, next couple weeks looking into it, but um, you got to get those points, man. That's what the game's all about. I want to I be clear that unlike previous spring games where the points were kind of weird, you do realize the intricate system was you score a touchdown and points go on the board. I thought there was more to it than that. I thought there was like because defense got sat got like points for sacks things like that. Or maybe that was another year. I think I they thought... I think they were tracking internally, and I remember Kill doing something exactly like that. But last year, unless I'm mistaken, it was you score points the normal way, and they go on the scoreboard the normal way. Am I wrong about that? Honestly, based on the offense for a lot of the last year, that is an intricate system of scoring. So hopefully, that's not true <laughs> next year either. <laughs> Touche. All right. Um, well, the softball team continues to go along doing very good things. Andy, you got a quick update for softball for us? Yeah, the uh, softball team, uh, you know, struggled a little bit in the non-conference season, but they played a ton of ranked opponents, and it's uh, paying off for them now. Uh, Gophers have started the Big Ten season with two straight three-game sweeps, or 6-0, and and uh, are now have the eighth ranked RPI in the country, which is uh, now apparently a program record. Um, for those who don't follow the softball NCAA tournament, which is probably ninety nine point five percent of the people listening to this right now, um, 
top 16 seeds will host a regional top eight seeds get to host a super regional so if the the committee actually handed it out straight by rpi which they never do um you know the gophers would actually be in a position to even host a super regional right now um that eight, number eight number will most likely go down as the big Ten's depth is is not very good although uh for the first year in quite a while the big 10 has a majority of their teams ranked in the top 100 in rpi instead of most years where about half the big 10 is below that number so even when you're sweeping teams your rpi is dropping um but if the gophers can can hold serve in the big 10 and and do as they've done the last few seasons uh there's a fairly good chance that minnesota should have a fairly strong argument to be able to host a ncaa regional come may here um but then again that doesn't mean anything as the gophers were the uh 16th ranked rpi team two years ago and ended up getting sent to uh alabama instead of hosting a regional and and we all know how well that ended out so uh the gophers just need to keep doing what they're doing um, you know, they're, they're missing two-time Big Ten Player of the Year and two-time All-American Kendall Lindemann at catcher who uh, got off to a slow start after transferring to Florida, but I think in her last four games has something like six home runs and 15 RBI. It's just stupid. Um, but the Gophers are getting production from a couple of freshmen. Uh, Natalie Den Hartogs was named the Big Ten Freshman of the Week for the second week in a row. She leads the Big Ten with 11 home runs, uh, 39 RBIs, and is slugging 813 on the season so um not bad from uh, somebody who they didn't really expect to play that big of a role coming into the season but uh they just gotta keep on winning and beating up on the teams they need to and uh see what they can do as we get closer to the end of the year i'd like to call out uh, whoever runs the minnesota softball twitter accounts uh you are the real mvp i see your good tweets i want more of them all right, well, it's about that time. Before we kind of wrap it up, it's uh, I think it's time for me to make sure that Blake is initiated into the HelloFresh update. This will be Blake's first time on the podcast with the HelloFresh update. Uh, That's really it's really the only reason I'm here, to be honest with you. Yeah, Blake, so I want to let you know one of the good things about HelloFresh. Uh, it's when you're me and you don't make the meals as quickly as you need to. Many of the refrigerated items have actually quite a shelf life. And they will be around long enough for you to purchase additional uh, vegetables to replace the ones that you let spoil. Uh, that's, a, that's a great selling point of HelloFresh. And dry ingredients are dry ingredients, so those don't go bad. So if you're me and you have this delicious box and you put it, you know, everything into the fridge and then don't do anything with it for a week and the vegetables are not so great, don't worry. You can still go out and buy things in the store like a regular person who knows how to cook. And for that, I thank you, HelloFresh. And we would also like to thank HelloFresh if they ever decide they want to sponsor this podcast. Yep, because I know I'm doing such a great job of selling the product right now. Um, (laughs) But in the meantime, you've collected my money, so I think we're all even and you can give it back to us with some ad revenue. Uh, But until that happens well off in the future, um, you can expect many SkyU podcasts in the meantime. Go Gophers. SkyU Ma. Row the boat. Go go for throw the boat.